0: Oh, <music> To the first slide. Since we've talked about that enough, we have a problem for the Pharisees. Now we know Jesus is—he's there. He is in Jerusalem. Um, He's—you know—he's taken charge. I mean, he is the man of authority. This is—you know—his his town, if you will, um, his temple, you know, uh, and he's in there doing the, what he would you expect the Messiah to do: healing, teaching. Miracles, wonderful things. It's just, it's awesome, you know. Uh, but he's also getting challenged. He's getting challenged, you know. And, 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 the, and the challenges are, are, well, initially coming right here from the Pharisees. But they are, um, and they're upset, as we see in this verse. And this is us rewinding just a wee bit. So and the reason why I put this here is because this is where we are in 22. It's in reference to what we see here in Matthew 21, 45 and 46. So I say the problem of the Pharisees. Here's the problem right here. Jesus is there, he's a threat, he's seen it as a threat, um, and he's talking, and we talked about the parables, or the illustrations that Jesus used, and these illustrations, basically to sum them up, one was basically illustrate the fact to how, um, you know, the, the Pharisees have neglected their responsibilities, um, and the other one is that they've actually abused their powers, you know, uh, and, and he even... Within that illustration, he refers to the fact that Jesus is going to be denied by these people and and killed. You know, the Son of God will be killed. Um, And and so we've talked about that. So the Pharisees are pretty upset because he made it very clear that he's talking about the Pharisees. And he also went so far, if you remember from last chapter 21, is he talked about their lack of fruits. And that's, the, the, and that's kind of one of the principal issues, the lack of fruit. Well, what are you guys doing with your authority? What are you doing? You're in charge. What are you doing with it? And, I mean, there's Jesus. He's there. Your Messiah's here. Hello. I mean, if anything, you should be prepared for the Messiah. You should be waiting for the Messiah. Your life and everything should be pointing to the Messiah, but instead they're resisting the Messiah. So what's their fruit? And he says well, what's going to happen is it's, this authority, this this." this jurisdiction, this dispensation, this thing that you have is going to be taken away from you, and it's going to be given to those who can bear fruit, and we've already talked about that last week, but you can imagine being told that how upset the Pharisees are going to be, wait a second, you can't take nothing away from us, and so now we get to this verse here where they're very upset, and they plot to arrest him, and that's what it says here in verses 45, 46. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew that he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So the twofold problem is this. Number one, they don't like Jesus. They don't like what he stands for. They don't like the threat. They don't like the idea of change. They don't. They, they don't want Jesus hanging about. He's okay when he's doing this thing in the Galilee or up in Samaria. But now that he's in town, they're got big frown. I'm trying to rhyme now. I know that's horrible. Sorry, I won't do that again ever again. But they're upset, and you get the point. So they want to arrest him. That's the first problem. They want him arrested. How are we going to have him arrested? How can we get rid of Jesus? How can we? Get rid of this threat. But the second problem they have is this: they feared the fear. They feared the political backlash of his supporters. I mean, at this time, this particular region was very. There was a, there was a lot of revolts and rise ups, and and right now it was a kind of a time of quiet. Last thing they want is to get the people. All fired up and revolting and causing problems. That can cause problems for, for the Romans. It cause problems for here for the, 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 you know, the Jewish leaders here who are trying to keep peace. You know, they don't want the change. So they don't want the, the political backlash of his supporters. So they're thinking, how do we deal with this in a very political way? So we won't get in trouble by supporters, but yet we can get rid of him. And that's simple. We see that. It's clear cut. Therefore, they have to craft a clever plan to arrest him without getting all the people in Jerusalem to rise up and revolt. Next slide, please. And that's all we're talking about today, really, is their failed attempts to trap him. That's, you know, that's, that's really what we see in the first half of Matthew 22. These failed attempts to trap Jesus. So option one, what are we going to do to trap Jesus? We'll, we'll get the militia involved. <laughs> we'll get the bad boys who can come in, and we'll give them a big fright. We'll, we'll, we'll bully Jesus to, to answer you know, in a way that will be displeasing to the people, and they'll reject him. Ah, clever. Or he will get caught out and let the militia arrest him, and the militia have to deal with the revolts and the rising up of the, of the people. Yeah? I call this, and yes, I have some pretty funny words here that I I used. Again, I told you I was in a funny mood and I put these together. Pseudo-ethy theological issues. That's the things that that they they use. These pseudo, which means mm, so-called or kind of, they appear to be a problem, but they really aren't. Ethy, ethical theological issues. So what ought we to do? What should we do, Jesus? Let us, let us know. And, but, but, we, but the thing is, their intent to ask this question, bear in mind, isn't for genuine answers. The reason why they ask these questions is they want to trap Jesus, they want him arrested. And they're hoping that these Herodians, these, this militia, will actually arrest Jesus for, for them so they don't have to deal with the political backlash. So in verse 15, it says, Is that right? Twenty-two fifteen. Yeah, because we did the wedding banquet. To 15. Okay. Oh, okay, we're good. Okay. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, And we, as I said, are just there. The Heridian, these are Herod's partisans. Uh, they would not want this a Jewish rise up within Herod's jurisdiction. So like the Pharisees, they, they kind of want to keep the peace a wee bit. But they were very loyal to Herod. So they were, it, it was their thing, their responsibility to make sure that people uh, were, were loyal to Herod and loyal to Caesar. And this, in bringing them along was frankly meant to intimidate Jesus. It was. It was a scare them. And so they say, oh, teacher, Notice the Heridians are here with us, yes? Okay, well, we have a question for you. <laughs> Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity. Oh, man. And that you teach the way of God. Oh, this, the flattery, it makes you sick to your stomach. You're a man of integrity in that you teach the way of God. And according to the truth, you aren't swayed by others like these guys here. <laughs> They're not tempting. You're not, you're not put off by these guys, are you? You're not swayed by what people think about you, are you? I mean, these guys, they're not bothering you, are you? But you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. You're not bothered with these Herodians, are you? You're going to be brave, and you're going to say that Caesar shouldn't have our money. You're going to say that we ought not to pay our taxes to Caesar. You're going you're to you're be brave, aren't you, Jesus? Right in front of you, right? Is that what you're going to do, Jesus? That's what they're hoping. They want them trapped. You pay attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? And of course, his people, his followers, frankly, don't want to pay taxes. I don't want to pay taxes. Who wants to pay taxes? But certainly not to a Gentile emperor. Israel wants to have their own nation. They want to be self-ruled and self-governed. Rome is nothing but an insult to them. To actually be ruled by these ah, these dogs and have to give them our money, oh, it's a big issue. Remember how earlier, several times already, we've seen how sinners are compared to what tax collectors and prostitutes. That's how that's how popular paying taxes were. You have prostitutes, you have tax collectors. You know, they don't like they don't like them. They're morally dirty and filthy. We don't we don't like them. That's 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 the idea. That's the mentality, culturally speaking. So. Should we pay our taxes to Caesar? Nobody wants to. We're very upset about it. It's very much so a political hot topic. What should we do, Jesus? What should we do? So, paying taxes. Next slide, please. Now, of course, this, and I apologize for that. My thing fell apart this morning. Um, That's supposed to be train tracks without green things on the bottom there. My picture here looks really nice, but that doesn't. I apologize for that. So, what they're trying to do is they're trying to trap them with a dilemma. Which means there's two options. What are you going to go for? Okay? In the dilemma, it's an either or kind of situation. That's what dilemma is. It's like this or this. The problem is it's a false dilemma. And Jesus is going to show us how it's a false. A false dilemma means that there's another hidden option. But here's the dilemma. This is what they want. This is how they want to trap him. Either they want Jesus to this. Uh, either say what his followers want to hear So they, they, they're thinking Will Jesus say what his followers want to hear What they call the integrity move Will he do the integrity move And say yes We should not pay taxes to Caesar And then the militia will come in And deal with him that, Or will he cower Under the, the possible Pending persecution From the Herodians You, you see that's, that's in their mind like he's, That's his two options Either says yes or says no. Right? Well, let's see what Jesus does next. Slide. And this is why this trap fails. This is why this trap fails. There's a third option. And it says in verse 18, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent, now I highlighted that because I'm like, Jesus, I mean, he's, he's why does he even deal with them? Why does he even entertain their, their, their trickery? You know what I'm saying? It's like, this really frustrates me. But then I remember what Francis Schaeffer used to say, you know, say in one of his books, he used to, in his biography. He says, an honest question deserves an honest answer. But I think about this, I go, is this really an honest question? This is evil intent? Hypocr- hypocrisy? Does he need to? I mean, knowing their evil intent, they say, you hypocrites. Why are you trying to trap me? Again, and I, and I put a couple thoughts here because I, I struggle with verses like this. I'm like, if I were Jesus, I would just walk away and say, you know, eh, I don't want to cast my pearls before swine. And that's kind of how a lot of people interpret casting pearl before swine. And that's kind of a false interpretation of that because think about that illustration, casting pearl before swine. Okay, what does a swine going to do if a hungry, hungry piggy Hungry, hungry piggy. What does, he, what does he want? What does that hungry piggy need? Pearls? No. What's a piggy going to do with pearls? That's something that might be valuable to you or I. But to a pig, has absolutely no value. In fact, if he's hungry, he's going to end up turning against you and, and chowing down on you. Because he needs to eat. So what's value? So that's why, why I hear her, her, the pearl for swine. I'm, I, what I think in my mind is, give someone what they need that's helpful to them. What, what does the piggy need? He needs food. What do these people need? Well, he's thinking about them, but he's also thinking about the people around him. And you look at the response later on, what happens, when the people, when they see his answers, how they're just blown away, how amazed they are. They, they basically start worshiping Jesus, like, whoa, how awesome is he? Oh, how crazy, how, he, how tactful is he in handling this opposition? Because the reality is, we all, we all face opposition in our lives, yeah? We all face opposition. And sometimes we can't just walk away. Sometimes we have to give an answer. Here, Jesus is our example. Is he breaking his own principles by casting pearl for swine? No, he's not. I think he's serving a very practical need. And he's teaching us a lesson. We can't always run away from our problems. Sometimes we have to have an answer. And sometimes we have to think really hard. And sometimes we have to ask God, please, God, I don't see the solution. Please, show me a solution. And here, I think this kind of pulls from those principles. So he goes, show me... Cool thing about Jesus, he's so smart. He doesn't have to think very long. <laughs> the answers kind of come to him. The, the, the neat benefits of being a son of God, I guess. <laughs> so he goes, give me a coin. Okay, so they give him a coin. Well, the coins that you use for paying taxes, so the, the, the denarius, yeah? So they brought to him a, a denarius, and he asked them, whose image is, is this? Whose image is this on the coin here? And whose inscription, whose name is on it? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, go give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. If this has got his image on it, if this is printed in his printing mills, then give it to him. What do you need with it? Give it to him. But give to God what is God's. Whoa, 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 whoa. I like this because it actually shows a separation. It's like, yeah, at this time, you have the deal with Romans. Deal with it. But don't neglect God. God has given you, God's seeing you, God's watching you. Give to Caesar, give to whoever that powers to be, the political powers that you don't like, honor it. But realize that God's ultimately in control. Ultimately, God's the boss. So give to God what is God's. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And this is a real ethical answer. That's why I said the, 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 the issue is a pseudo-ethiological issue, but the reality is here's a real ethical, and you know what ethical means. It means what we ought to do. What should we do as people? What should we do as Christ followers? And here, this is a real wonderful ethical question. It's not one of those kind of questions where if you don't do it, you're in sin necessarily. You might be. If you're disobeying God, you're in sin but this might be something that you've got to, hmm, ask yourself. Maybe God's trying to show you a better way. Something we ought to do that we haven't done yet. You know? And what I like about this, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And this, this statement begs us to ask ourselves, and honestly, how do we handle our own money? How much of it, I mean, if we were to like to budget and like say, okay, here's, I get this much a month, and this much goes to my big fat belly, <laughs> and this much goes to my comforts, and this much goes to paying the man. How much of that does, does God get? Now, I don't usually teach tithing and giving messages. I don't. And I'm not going to start doing that today. I'm just putting that out there. It begs a real honest question. How do we handle our money, giving charity, taxes, even stuff like benefits, you know? Do we tithe? Are we charitable at all? Think about that. Give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? You know, taxes, benefits, all that different jazz, you know. <laughs> Give to God what is God's. Stuff like tithing and charity and stuff like that, you know. So something to think about. I'm going to leave that right there. Because, I, like I said, I don't usually preach on things like this. I just kind of want to drop the bomb and walk away. <laughs> so when they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him. And went away. Again, if he, if he would have just walked away and said, Ah, can't be bother with you. Don't you know we shouldn't cast our pearl before swine? Then the people would go, Well, what? what's it all about? But now they're like, Wow, Jesus. Wow, he, he, he's courageous as well. I mean, we see him tipping over the tables in the temple. We see him confronting these Pharisees. We see him like literally, I mean, not only is he telling them that the kingdom of heaven is going to be taken from them and given to the Gentiles, but he uses these wonderful illustrations to paint it. I mean, while these Pharisees are, you can see the steam coming from their heads. I mean, Jesus is courageous. He's so courageous. And, he sit there and he's sitting there and he's teaching the Pharisees. I mean, he is, isn't he? He's teaching the Pharisees. Whether or not they, if they learn or not, probably not. Who knows? But he's still teaching them. He's like, listen guys, this is the deal. This is the plan. Listen up. And also the people around are listening and they're watching and, they, and they're learning as well. But, but they're not done trying to trick them or trap them. There's a second option they're going to try. Okay, If the militia te- technique doesn't work, let the other religious guys do it. Because <laughs> they don't want to get caught. They don't want to get in trouble. So let the other religious guys deal with Jesus. So enter the Sadducees. And I call this, yes, the pseudo metaphysio theological issues. Go figure that out. Matthew 22, 23 to 28 says this. That same day, the Sadducees, oh, metaphysio, I get that's from the word metaphysical, which means other than or next to physical. So when we talk about that, we're talking about spiritual things, basically. It's a fancy word for spiritual things, okay? The Sadducees did not believe in spiritual things, okay? The Sadducees, enter in. The Sadducees were pretty much equivalent, almost identically equivalent theologically to today's modern liberal theologians who reject the word of God and who reject supernatural spiritual things, basically. There is really no heaven, no earth, no resurrection, no nothing. We're just, we're just basically matter. And that's it. That's all that matters is matter. That's kind of the, where the, 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 the fundamentals of liberal theology comes from. Um, so these Sadducees are pure materialists, okay? Pure materialists, which means only matter matters, yeah? There's nothing spiritual. And, and to me, it's kind of confusing, because what is God then? How do you even talk about God if, you, if, if there's no such thing as spiritual things? Isn't God pure spirit? Well, they would be equivalent, to again, to we're talking about, deists earlier. And, and this would be very similar to what today's deist would be Christians are theists. Theist means we believe that God created the heavens and the earth. He's the originator of the universe, and he also interacts. So that interaction element is what makes us theist. That God's able to interact with the physical universe. A deist rather says that God started the process. Like the Gnostics, for instance, were a type of deist who believed that there were layers, but God was way up here, spiritual God, and he kind of. Use these these agents that were lesser than him. But by the way, this is heresy. I'm telling you. By the way, okay. <laughs> and then they came and they started the earth because the earth was so, be material, so evil and so opposite of God. Again, okay, this is heresies. Okay, I'm not preaching. I'm ta- talking heresies right there. This is wrong stuff. Okay, but 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 the point is, the deists believe that God initiated the creation of the heavens and the earth, but cannot interact with it. Okay, he cannot. There's no instrument. There's no. There's no in-between point between spiritual and physical. God can't interact with us. That's what deism is. Christians are not deists. We look at the Bible. The Bible's filled with God interacting constantly with us. I love the Holy Spirit. Because every time we see the word Holy Spirit, it means God is with us and he's interacting in a wonderful, powerful way. Yeah? Isn't that what it is? We talk about Holy Spirit come and fill us up. What are we saying? We're not saying we want to have the Spirit of God in a sense of like, you know, like spirit, like, like, like teamwork. You know, like passion. Like you know, even something like like like. Oh, that man, he's a spirited fella. You know, what we're talking. about? We're talking about like how he's maybe a bit passionate or a bit excited about certain things or he's for something. But no, we're talking. We're talking about the spirit of God. We're actually talking about God's actual presence with us. The Christians are theists. We believe that God interacts. Right? Sadducees are so sad. You see, they don't believe in that. They believe that just. Look around. This is all there is, baby. When you die, it's done. So very, very common. Very, very, very similar to modern day, you know, modern man, I would say, and modern woman. Just you live, you die, and that's it. So there's introduction, a long introduction for the Sadducees. Well, all I had to read was the next verse to describe who the Sadducees are. They say there's no resurrection. Right? That's a part of their, of their belief system. The Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses told us if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow. Okay, now, okay, guys, there's a lot of details in here. So get your head stuck into this, okay? Okay, this is a crazy, crazy predicament. I would never want to be in this predicament. Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, His brother must marry the woman and raise up offspring for him. Okay, that's not the end of it. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married, died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, okay, so this is, they're being cheeky. They are, they're being cheeky. So you believe in the resurrection, Jesus, huh? Okay, well then what about this woman? Okay, this woman at the resurrection. Whose wife will she be? Aha, we got you, Jesus. Whose wife will she be? Again, what they're trying to do is they're trying to discredit Christ. Yeah, the first one's trying to arrest them outright. So they're trying to get the militia involved. They're trying to get him busted. This one, this group's trying to discredit them. So they're trying to say, they're trying to get his followers who are watching and so interested in Jesus to say, Oh, he's a, he's, he's a fraud. He's just like all the other fake messiahs. He's a fraud. Whose wife will she be then? Okay, by the way, I drew a picture. Next slide. Just to kind of... <laughs> if, 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 if you need a picture, there's a picture right there. Here's Moses. He says, if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise offspring for him. So here's a, a lovely lady in the, in the middle there, okay? And there's the first brother. Here's the second brother coming. Uh-oh, watch out! And then there's the other guys. Okay, is that seven? I think that's seven there. Okay, so in the time of resurrection, that lovely lady sitting there, whose wife will she be? Is a question. If they all married her, who gets to have her in the resurrection? I think a better question might be, what is she putting in the porridge? Why are all these guys dying and she's still alive? But regardless, <laughs> I told you I was in a funny mood when I put this together. Next slide. Thank you, Gary. But why this argument fails? Why this argument fails? Or trap. Why this trap fails? Simple. There's no marriage to the resurrection. You know what I'm saying? There you go. That solves the problem. There's no marriage. She's not married to anyone in the resurrection. Yeah? Well, if you don't believe me, let's see what Jesus says. Jesus replies, you are in error. Now, there's a lot of profound information here, guys. And this is important because of the correlation between the Sadducees and today's modern liberal theology. Okay, there's error. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Again, remember I talk about theism versus deism. The power of God. God interacts with people. God's powerful. He's amazing. He's ultimate. He interacts. The power of God. You do not know the scriptures. You have power of God. The Sadducees don't. And frankly, the community of purely materialistic liberal theologians today don't know these things either. Okay. So error means to lead away from the truth. To lead into error to deceive. Again, this is a pushing away from the truth. This is a, a leading away from what's right. Error exists commonly in all branches. I don't know if there are many branches, but there's, I mean, there's different names. There's new names. The most recent name is the emergent church. That's one of the newer names for the liberal church, emergent church. It's any branch of theological movement within the church that rejects the word of God, basically. Yeah, in in the power of God. Not knowing the scriptures, not knowing the power of God. So error exists commonly in all branches of liberal theology because of its rejection of scriptures. How can you know God if you don't know his word? Ironically, today many say that the Bible errs. So in the branding of error, it's not the theologians who err, as Jesus says, that they do. It's that the word of God errs. We can't trust the Bible. And that's kind of what's being said. And I hate to say it, even in the mainstream churches today, they say, well, that's a matter of interpretation. There was a big debate about a certain hot topic in the Bible. And one of the responses from a, I'm not going to say what church is church Scotland said, it's a matter of interpretation. What's that mean? Does that mean you can't get anything from the Bible? Because everything's a matter of interpretation? That's basically what he's saying. So ironically, today many say the Bible errs. But if you mix this the belief that God does not interact. Remember what I said earlier about deism versus theism, yeah? We as Christians are theists. We believe that God interacts. The power of God. They don't know the word of God. They say the word of God errs. And they don't know The power of God, that God actually can interact with us. And this interaction, by the way, includes the ability to communicate with man. God interacts. And again, if God can't interact, then He can't really give us a genuine Word of God. You see how important it is to believe that God interacts? Because God interacts with prophets, with the, 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 the apostles and disciples, and Moses and Abraham, and all the fellas that we have here. God has spoken. In order to speak to men, he has to be able to interact with mankind. Yeah? And we, we believe that. And the cool thing is, he does it in a very general sense, the word of God, which is so powerful. But he even interacts with us in a very specific way sometimes. Yeah? He does. Sometimes when we're, like, needing to hear from God, in the word of God, we're, we're struggling, we're finding it. Sometimes he will use wonderful verses, but sometimes he just will touch our hearts and he will give us a little message. God interacts with us. But again, there's many today who call themselves Christians who reject that. And that is a major, major problem. So what's the result? Okay, this error, you know, of of saying that the Bible is not the Word of God, God can't communicate with us, has resulted in either the outright rejection of the Word of God. You know what I'm saying? So, So churches start closing their Bibles and putting them away. And they get people, men and women, to come up and they start preaching on social causes and social, this is what we ought to do to care for our community. This is how we ought to make a better society for ourselves and this is what we ought to do. Let's talk about what Betty Sue's doing and Joey over here is doing and whatever. They stop talking about Jesus Christ because how do they talk about Jesus Christ when we don't know Jesus Christ? So the Bibles go bye-bye. Or a weak, watered-down interpretation of it. Like I said earlier, well, that's how you might see it, and then I might see it this way, and really, we can't really know anything, really, anyways, right? No, I believe God can speak to his church. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, the, the Bible's filled with information that tells us how God speaks to his church. Jesus, the head of the church, and we're his body. Yeah, we hear from the head. I mean, if, if, if a body doesn't respond to the head, was his head severed? Is there some kind of, like, seriously, like, was there paralysis? I mean, that's not a good thing if the body can't hear from the head. So you you better believe the church hears from the head. So, he says, going on, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. See, we'll be like that cute little angel with a little halo and little wings. False. I know we're not going to be angels. We'll be like the angels. It's a comparison where we actually have one of the kids... The Sunday school, tell the kids they, that we're going to be like angels, and we had to set them aside and so no, 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 we didn't, we're not going to be angels when we're in heaven, we're still people angels are different than people but, but, but in this sense, oh, I'm sorry Ashlyn, I break your heart, you want to be an angel you want to get your wings, oh, okay, well sorry, that's not going to happen <laughs> but just joking, but, but regardless here, like angels, it's a poetic term, like the angels, the angels do not get married, as he says here but uh, about the resurrection of the dead, have you not, re- okay, no, 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 neither marry nor be given marriage like the angels in heaven, okay, so there's, there's, no, there's no marriage, okay, in heaven. But that, that answers the question, but he's going to get right to the heart of the matter. And, and, and as we've already discussed and, and, and unfolded and unpacked all the information here, specifically dealing with the error of not knowing scriptures and not being familiar with the power of God and being resistant against supernatural things, that's the real issue, isn't it? So he simply answered the question. In heaven, there's no marriage. Now that I've answered your question, let's move on to what really matters. Yeah, Here's what really matters. But about this resurrection you speak of. Have you not read what God said to you? I love this. How personal is God? God said to you? Isn't there a problem with God interacting with us? But hasn't God spoken to you? These are Sadducees. These are people who were... Of At that time, the people of, of God, you know, he chose them to, to make the rest of the world jealous, you know, but haven't you heard from God? Hasn't he already spoken to you? You, you know, you know you're the, the, the big guys that you love, the father of your faith, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, you know, the, 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 the big patriarchs, yeah? Haven't you heard from them? Haven't they heard from God? Have you not read what God has said to you? What does he say? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. And the God of Jacob. So, what does that mean? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. That is crazy. True story. At my mom's, at my mom's funeral, I was there and I had to preach at my mom's funeral. I didn't even know it. The minister came and got me as I was walking into the doors. He goes, you want to say some words for your mom's funeral? I go, oh, no. Yeah, you are. Okay. So I did. But I took this line of thinking. My mom's not dead. She's alive. Don't fool yourselves. Now, I should have been a little more tactful because I have young nephews and nieces there. And one of my nieces turned around. And said, what? Where's she at? Is she here? And we're like, uh-oh, uh, that failed. Uh, you know me, guys. I'm risky. Sometimes I take a risk. But you get the point. My mom belongs to God. God is the God of the living, not the dead. So my mom, she just moved. She, you know, she just moved. Someday I will die. I'll just move. But I'm not going to die. I have eternal life. You have eternal life. Yeah? God's not the God of the dead. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're not dead. They may have been hanging about, walking around the earth a long time ago, but they're still not dead. They're alive. They're with God. God's not the God of the dead living. And in order for this to be a reality, what must be? Spiritual things must exist. Because their bodies are in the grave. My body will be in the grave. mom's body's in the grave, yeah? But her soul, her spirit's alive with God in his presence. So you have to be open to supernatural Spiritual things, things that aren't purely materialistic. So he's attacking them right to the core, right to the heart of their dodgy theology. So when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Why? Probably because no one ever spoke to these guys like this before. He's so wise, so smart, so informed. (gasps) Next slide, please. And there's more to say, but not today, to be continued.